0: I do enjoy Bathurst weekend. I do enjoy the buzz and, and the cars and the sound. And the, I don't know. It's the Bathurst in the spotlight. And, and some part of me as a, as a person who was born in this town, was raised in this town, I kind of feel proud of my town. Do you do that? You know, when, the, when you watch the TV and, and there's helicopter shots of that town and Mount Petarama and I think, that's my town. I like it. I like the, the buzz and the thrill. I like people coming into town and I like, I like, I like the race, you know, just the, the madness of it all, especially yesterday and the rain. And it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, who invented this thing? I think I, I feel so proud. But, but, you know, sometimes I wonder if that's the purpose of Bathurst. Like is, is that our core purpose, to, to host the race? To to be that town, and and when I travel, I say I'm from Bathurst, and those in the know go, ah, oh yeah, Bathurst, yeah, the car race, you know, the mountain. They Go, yeah, yeah, that's that's where I'm from. But I wonder if if is that what we should be known for? Is that our ultimate purpose? Is is that the core vision? Is is Peter Brock really the king of our mountain? Fantastic car racer in his day. I wonder if there's another king of the mountain that deserves. Greater destiny, no Colin, I'm not talking about a Ford driver, I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> you see, what I'm thinking is, 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 while all that focus is on our town, and I love it, I, I wonder, well, what if Bathurst was a, was a centre for, for life in God? What if this place was a place where where churches thrive and flourish? What if this place was a place where people get healed and saved and restored? What if this place was was beyond just a car race? Good car race, amazing car race, but just a car race. What What if Bathurst didn't give its life for the car race but gave its life for something of a deeper and significant purpose? Now, a few weeks ago, I was in a village uh, in the middle of France, would you believe? And there's a map here. And uh, I got wrapped up in this story. I was visiting a school here, and uh, you might not be able to see this. But but right here, right, right sort of towards the south, in, in what's the, the central highlands of, of France, is this little village called Le Chambon is up on a village, and I went there about five years ago, I went back there again, and you drive up this crazy mountain road and that's what it looks like. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I mean, stone cottages and narrow streets and you're driving through this place. Oh, this is so old, it's so beautiful. It's probably really horrible to live there. But it just looks quaint, you know, from our point of view. But there's something deeper that went on in this city, in this little town. Back in World War II, they realised that their central position, their isolated spot up in the mountains, was the ideal hiding place for Jews. And being a reasonably Protestant area and having a huge history in the Reformation, which I won't go into right now, but but they kind of had this resilience. And they'd also developed lots of hiding holes. And they'd also developed passageways across to Switzerland. And so one day, a Jewish family stumbled across this village and the local pastor of the church said, welcome, like at great risk to his life. So we'll hide you. We'll find a spot for you to be safe. And they, they hid this family out in a barn and kept for them. And then another family came and then another family came and, and, and suddenly they realised their strategic position they could actually really help save people. In fact, 5,000 people were rescued and saved. Th- a little village in the middle of nowhere, isolated right up in the top, suddenly found its call as a safe haven for 5,000 Jews. Most of them kids. They did all kinds of things, they faked IDs, they sent the Jewish kids to school to pretend they were part of the, you know, the village schools. Um, the, the pastor and, and the associate pastor were arrested for a bit, brought back. Um, the pastor's brother was killed and executed because he was discovered. They had the police on board, you know, so when the Germans would come through, they'd, they'd kind of fake all these things. I mean, it was an elaborate, elaborate plot to save people's lives. And I went through a museum there and just marveled at the, the, the legacy of this town as a, as a safe haven for people. And it got me thinking. If a little village in the middle of nowhere in France can, can reach out and do such meaningful work, I, I wonder what the, the destiny of our town is. Just because we're in the country, just because we're in Bathurst, I wonder, I wonder what God's purpose for us so that our town can live a life worth living beyond just the fun of a car race. That was Paul's approach. Stuck in prison. Didn't matter where he was, he had a passion for purpose. He had a real purpose that drove his everyday, even if it looked like he was in a contrary place. And that's the background to what we're looking at today. Remember, we're looking at Philippians for the next two months. We're still in Philippians 1. Last week we preached on having a new heart. Today is having a new purpose and, and how Paul, from his prison in Rome, riding back to the Philippian church, kind of in Greece, Macedonia today, told us some of his purpose. Let me read this, this passage through, then I'm going to unpack some things. This is Philippians 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being put in prison, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What a passage. I'm going to unpack that if you missed the flow of it. It's, it's deep. It's, it's, it's drawing something, but it speaks of purpose. and I think this world lacks purpose. I think if, if we had real purpose, if we were striving for a purpose that is eternal and beyond anything that this world could do, life just gets better. It doesn't mean that it's easy. I meet so many people who, who lack a life purpose. Like they, they find their purpose in their work, and work is good. They find their purpose in their family, and family is good find their purpose in making lots of money, and money is good, but but see, all of those things fade away, and you can be like Paul in prison going, "Eh, it's not that important. What is important is Jesus. And if you find yourself wrapped up in that core purpose, actually it's for life and for death. Not even death can take you away from your core purpose. Is there anything in this world like that? I can compile all the money that I like, and I can store it, and I can buy a big house, and I can, I'm going to die one day. Then it just gets left to someone else. I can reach the pinnacle of my career, and I can do everything, but I'm going to retire one day, and I'm going to be in a nursing home and be no different to the next person to that person, regardless of what I've achieved in this life. Have the greatest family and it's beautiful. I love that, but I'm not gonna die. I'm not meaning to depress you. I'm wanting to see that there's a far thing to live for, and I've personally found that living for a higher purpose takes me through the bumps of life because they're not that important. Does it matter if my house needs painting right now? No, see. They agree with me. (laughs) Does it matter if my car doesn't start? No, because I can walk. Do you have, because you've got the car keys, do you have a sense of purpose about your life? Something to live for? Do you feel like your life counts? Or are you looking for some deeper meaning that'll be more fulfilling? Did you catch verse 27? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How? Let's unpack. I see four secrets in here that Paul lives by. To give him purpose even when he's chained to a Roman guard. (laughs) Even when he's not sure if he's going to be killed and executed or not. Imagine having that life purpose. I see four things that drives this core purpose, so he can live a life worth living even in the end of his days. First thing, embrace your now. Embrace it. Whatever it is that God's got you in now, embrace it. It's all right. Whatever context you're in, it's okay. You're not in prison. I know that. Embrace it. You might not be the ideal, but embrace it. It might be not where you want to be, but embrace it. No, your Now your current situation does not stop you from achieving your life purpose because if your life purpose is wrapped up in Christ, that purpose can be anywhere. la Chambon in France, Bathurst here, wherever you happen to be. He says this in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known through the whole imperial guard. Like all the Roman soldiers know the deal. And to the rest, my imprisonment is for Christ. Because Paul was a big mouth. He would have told them why he was there. And most of the brothers, like the church, having become confident in the Lord, my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They were spurred on by Paul's situation. They go, you know what? It doesn't matter. Let's just live for Christ anyway. So don't, don't wait For the perfect situation now is your opportunity to serve Christ. HSC students, sitting those exams, imprisonment in that exam room. It's okay. (laughs) You can live for Christ by doing a really good English essay on Wednesday. Advance the cause of the gospel. What does it look like for you right now? at home with the kids, stuck in a meaningless job, unemployed, in a house that you don't even like. What what, what does it mean for you? What does that look like for you? You can still advance the cause of the gospel right in your context now. Paul did that. He embraced his now. He did not argue. He did not complain. The book of Philippians there is no complaint from Paul. In fact, we'll look at it later on. He says, Rejoice. I tell you again, rejoice. He's so full of joy. How many of us grumble in contrary circumstances? Oh, it's Complain. What an example. So, so embrace the place that God has for you right now. It doesn't mean that you don't try and improve your life, of course. Paul did. You know, I hope to get out. I hope to see you and, you know, work on that. But, but it doesn't mean that God can't work and that your purpose can't be alive right now. The second thing I see, and this is bold, all right, but it's a hope beyond death and it brings boldness. If your hope is beyond death, you'll have boldness. If not even death can thwart your purpose, you will have real boldness. Now, we live in a world which is so comfortable. But not that long ago and in places not so far away, there are so many people who are in trouble just for living the Christian life. I don't know if you know the story of Brother Andrew. Last month, just a few weeks ago, he died. Ninety four. He's one of the heroes of our faith. Let me read you some of his story. There's a picture of him and his VW. There he is. Twenty-seven years old, Dutch. He started smuggling Bibles into the then Eastern Europe from, from the Netherlands. Okay, from Holland. So he'd load up his – I don't know why he had that car, but he <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow loaded them up in the bonnet. Is it a frunk? It the front bit? The hood? All through the car, under seats. He'd stack this thing and drive into places like Romania. Highly risky, hugely illegal to do that. And, and he wrote this in his book. It's called Open Doors. And he started this whole – Uh, Movement called the Open Doors Movement, which is very much alive today. He says, our mission is called Open Doors because we believe that all doors are open, anytime and anywhere. He said, I literally believe that every door is open to go in and proclaim Christ, as long as you're willing to go and not worried about coming back. (laughs) How can you argue with that logic? Paul had the same thing, to live is Christ, to die is gain. His travels logged an estimated one million miles through 125 countries, including the time in the early 80s where they they smuggled a million Bibles into a boat and floated it down the river in China right into the heart of communist China back then, probably even so now, where just Bibles were illegal. What a a guy. What an amazing story. Now, let me read you one of his little uh, accounts He was was coming into the Romanian border crossing in his VW, piled with Bibles, illegal. He says, I was hoping that the border guards wouldn't pay too much attention and that I could cross the border unnoticed. However, the guards inspected all the cars thoroughly and unpacked each vehicle's contents on the ground. The engines of some vehicles were even taken apart and seats removed. While he was praying, entering the checkpoint he realised that no wisdom from his side would get him through. I needed a miracle from God to get past the guards without them seeing the Bibles. I decided to put a pile of Bibles on a seat next to me, knowing that it would be impossible to overlook it. With this step, I emphasised that I truly depend on God and not my own intelligence. He gave these documents to the guard and started getting out of the car. However, The guard pushed me back in and closed the car's door. He quickly looked at my passport photo and gave back my documents, after which he abruptly indicated that I could go. I got through the strict checkpoint with 30 seconds without anybody seeing the Bibles on the seat next to me. And when Brother Andrew looked back, he saw the guard had stopped the car behind him for a thorough inspection. My heart was beating very fast, not about the excitement of crossing the border, but in amazement, about the miraculous ways of the Lord. He cleared the path to smuggle Bibles to Christians who had no access to his word in the past. Would you do that? That's the question, isn't it? In a world which is so soft, in a culture which has probably lost its backbone, to think of actually risking a life for Jesus it's very contrary. But Paul did that. He didn't worry about death because not even death could thwart his higher purpose. I'm saying we throw our lives away or just be reckless with that. It's precious. But whatever our calling is, do we do it unto death? That's what I see in the scriptures. To live a high purpose that not even death can thwart, is so empowering. The third thing that Paul talks about is to strive together for the gospel. Verse 27, he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's writing to a church, the Philippian church. He says, I, I want to hear that you're firm in one spirit, that you're united, you're together, believing the same thing. And one mind, one purpose, striving side by side, shoulder by shoulder, together, men, women, old and young, different parts, just we're together on this. Striving for what? For the faith of the gospel. Many people strive together. To create things or do things. And even churches, you know, we, we strive together, but but are we striving together for the cause of Christ? Are we striving together to make his name known? Are we striving together? Are we on the same page? Are we moving in the same direction? That's a challenge in our world, which is very individualistic and autonomous. Can we what to do? I'll, I'll, I'll do it if it suits. No, I don't like that person. Nah. I'll say hello at church, but you know we don't really get on. We don't see eye to eye because we're together for the cause of Christ. What I love about this room is there are people from every walk of life, <laughs> every demographic, every age group. There are babies crying in there, or not, and there are more mature and wise folk. Did I get that right? You see, I love it. they are together big groups and small, we can strive together for the gospel. And not, not even just this church, but churches around the city together. So are you, are you living that? If, if, that's, if that's a key to living a life worth living, I mean, I mean, not just attending church, but belonging to a church. We like to use that term belong because that's what Paul uses, that we, we belong to each other. As part of the body of Christ. We are members of each other. Imagine my finger just attending my body. It's like maybe they're there one day, maybe they're there. <laughs> not the next. Hang on, I need those fingers today. Oh, no. no. we're having a break. I'm being facetious. But that's the idea. Like, like My fingers need my heart parts of my body need each other. And and so this idea of striving together in unity for the sake of the gospel is so key. And, And the move from attending to belonging is such a key shift. And finally, I like this one. Endure trials willingly. Endure trials willingly. This will help your core purpose. Don't be surprised, for it has been granted, verse 29, to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Oh, that's a tough verse to preach. By the way, some suffering coming. Am not I supposed to be all nice and say it's all going to be good. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's not what I read in the Scriptures. And it's probably not your reality. Who's ever had a trial this year? Ah, two. Yeah, Colin and I. And yeah, yeah. If you haven't had a trial, well, God bless you. But most of us in the room have probably had something going on this year. But not even that. We live in a world that is increasingly hostile to our message. If you've been in the media this week, the events in Victoria, very, very interesting how many sections of our world and our media are reacting to what are pretty basic kind of core beliefs of the Christian faith. Our world is radically shifting. The world, the perceptions, the tolerance of faith, traditional Christian faith is rapidly changing. Don't be surprised if in a few years' time you find that people sneer at you because you're a Christian. Not just, well, that's a bit odd well, good luck, you know, whatever whatever works for you, you know, I do this and you do that, you know, let's just live in harmony. You you will be surprised at the extremes. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus right here went through stuff, Paul's going through stuff. So are, are we willing to endure discomfort for the sake of the gospel? The situation in Melbourne this week was somebody didn't get a job because of their faith or association with leadership. I wonder if that's the situation coming up. If you claim you're a Christian, oh, no, we don't want Christians in this workplace. Are you okay with that? The early church had to deal with that. Confiscation of property, isolation. Many, many aspects of our society overseas deal with that. I'm not meaning to depress you. I'm saying that in order to live a life worth living, that's the extreme, to live beyond the thinking of our world and to embrace it and and not to, to worry about it but to endure trials willingly. Maybe we just need to get a little bit match fit for trials. Maybe trials, the trials that you're having personally, are ways of getting you up and ready and facing. Maybe the things that are happening in your world sharpening your resolve and attitude to live for Christ. It's going to be fun. But have you got a core purpose? Does that core purpose drive you even beyond death, even beyond socially accepted behavior, even beyond things of this world? Because if it does, nothing can stop you. Nothing. Nothing can stop your core purpose. That's what I love about living for the gospel. I'm going to grab just a muso or two or three, four, five, whatever it was, because I always I want to take a moment before we wrap it up. This is a challenging message for us. Paul's writing is challenging. He's writing from experience. He's writing in the context. He's not making this up. He's calling his church up. He's calling to live for a higher call and a vision. He's calling them out of just maybe mediocrity and living for the day into a higher plane of living, higher risk, higher profile, higher love, higher passion. But he knows that it's good for them. He knows that it's going to be life-giving to them. And he knows it's going to cause them to live a life worth living. Because Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have nothing to lose. Let's pray, Jesus, what a high call. It's my prayer, Lord Jesus, that each person here would simply live for you and live a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To love where you call us to love, to go where you call us to go, to do what you call us to do, and to always have fixed in our mind the call of Christ on our life. That is above every other call, every other purpose in our life. Jesus, wake us up and and shake us and, and mold us into warriors and a people who love passionately and follow unswervingly. Jesus, I thank you for your example in this, that you went to the grave for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for the examples of heroes in our faith throughout the centuries. I thank you for what's ahead, whatever you've got ahead for our town, our city, for our church. I'm praying that it's a high call and I'm praying that it calls us upward. And I'm praying that it gives us purpose and, and meaning in life. Lord, and I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come and show us more about what you have in store for this church. Not for us, not for our comfort, not for our just provision a little bit, but what do we have for you? Lord, what does this town have for you? Living for the glory of Christ in our day. Jesus. Just take a moment in the presence of God. If, if this is stirring in you, simply say to Jesus, I want in. I want in for your purpose. I want to step into a higher core, a higher life. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know, we can just be motoring along, but here is a step where Jesus says, Come and live for me. Come and live for me. Come put everything on the line and risk all for the sake of Christ. Just take a moment. Say, God, even if you're not sure, just say, help me, Lord. Help me live in that space. Help me get drawn into your heart. this is the first time that you've prayed that sort of prayer, I'd love to know about it. Come and chat to roll row myself after the service. I'd love to help you on that journey of getting to know Jesus, getting to know his purpose for your life. That invitation into his life is rich. So let's just finish, just sing our last chorus, hey?